Welcome to our next in the series of JLL Investor Perspective podcasts. I'm Julia Martin, Head of Student Housing in JLL's EMEA Capital Markets team. And throughout this year, we are exploring new perspectives on property, the problems facing real estate investors, and looking at potential solutions and answers. JLL Investor Perspectives is a broad and continually changing subject that requires diverse and expert thinking. So we are enlisting the help of colleagues from across our UK, European and global business, together with clients and other experts to help us define both the problems and potential solutions. One of the themes running through our Investor Perspective series is change. As investors grapple with consumer-driven structural shifts, some undoubtedly accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic, this can cause distress and a need for restructuring specialists. The European Commission published a report earlier this year indicating that some 23% of European firms would have seen liquidity distress in 2020 without government support. This suggests that the path out of the pandemic could leave battered balance sheets needing some well-timed support. The title of this podcast is therefore simply Restructuring and Distress. To help explore this technical area, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Ian Guthrie and client James Rowney from NatWest Bank. Let me introduce them. Ian is a Senior Managing Director and Founder of JLL's Pan-EMEA Loan Advisory and Restructuring Services team and a member of the government's Industrial Advisory Board. Before working on the advisory side, Ian worked for several investment firms and worked in the real estate team of Lloyd's Banking Group. James is both a chartered banker and chartered surveyor who has focused on the real estate sector for over 30 years. And he's currently the head of solutions at NatWest and part of the leadership team of the bank's restructuring division. This is the department that looks after those cases where corporate customers are showing some signs of distress, including the larger of the commercial real estate cases. Welcome, Ian and James. So let's kick off with a perspective on where we are currently in the cycle. In 2021, the UK economy is forecast to outperform almost all of the G20. So are we past the worst of it or perhaps in the eye of the storm? Ian, can I ask you to comment first? Yeah, thank you, Julia. Uh, It's probably the question which is on the lips of most lenders and investors and ultimately involves some sort of crystal ball gazing. I think on one hand, we've got lots of positive indicators, GDP growth, improving sentiment, HPI growth. But yet we're still in the grip of government stimulus, uh, be it uh, furlough, uh, be it lender forbearance. From a UK perspective, GDP growth, though, in 2021 is predicted to be top quartile. But it's important that we bear in mind that equally the UK economy was a laggard in 2020. And so therefore we're just really recovering some of the lost ground. I think looking forward, unemployment has not got to the levels that people would ordinarily expect it to through a pandemic and certainly through a one in 300 year global recession. I think, though, in uh, Q2 uh, 2021, notwithstanding the fact that unemployment hasn't fallen as much as what we thought, labour markets are recovering even better than I imagined with wage growth now returning very, very fast. In fact, you know, in some spaces uh, going beyond where it was uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, interestingly, though, 
Uh, one indicator that I've been watching is business insolvencies. Uh, and in 2020, business insolvencies, rather counterintuitively, fell by 20%. And in fact, ordinarily, you would think in a crisis, insolvencies would increase, but they fell. Uh, but bear in mind, that was largely due to government grants, loans, equity injections by sponsors, but also the support of lenders through forbearance such as NatWest. I think in 2021, we will probably see an unwinding of some of this. The extent uh, will be the question that will need to get answered and people like James will be best placed perhaps to give a view on that. James, would you like to respond? Yeah, it's good to start with an easy question, Julia. Um, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is difficult. I think, I think for me it's difficult because it's unprecedented. You know, this is, this is a black swan event that's occurred. It's a social crisis. If you think of the GFC and, you know, it's 11 years ago since the GFC, if I've got my maths about right. And, you know, some of us could follow patterns from previous crises and could kind of work our way through it. But to me, what we're dealing with now is it's just quite hard to comprehend what has hit us. If you look at what's happened, companies and countries have all taken on far more debt, far more debt than anyone ever realised they could take on. The flip side of that is that individuals have actually been saving. I suppose that's because we've not been able to go to the the cinema or to have holidays, etc. So there's quite a level of savings and also, I would say, pent-up demand. I think we're all desperate to to move out of the context of staying local and try and once again get travelling and get back to the office, etc. So all that will stimulate economic activity. I think it depends on what mood you're in, Joe. If you're in an upbeat mood, uh, you stick to the vaccination programme working and the scientists have done a brilliant job of that so far and that defeats the various variants and we really start to get back to where we were. If you're pessimistic mood, then a variant is not uh, covered by the vaccine. We get back into the sort of stop-go of lockdowns and clearly that could really postpone the economic recovery for some time to come. But um, getting back to your question, personally, I'm an upbeat person. I am going to go with the tremendous work the scientists have done to date and I'm rooting in them having got this right, that they're able to tweak the formula and I'm hoping, therefore, that we are actually next year, we're back to where we were pre-COVID. I noticed that Ian didn't touch upon Brexit, so I will follow his lead in that. <laughs> Interestingly, though, James, uh, you know, one thing that I've seen uh, recently is that the European Consumer Confidence Index, as its name suggests, a measurement of uh, consumer confidence uh, across uh, Europe, it's already at a level above February 2020 levels. And it gets you thinking, you know, are we maybe being overconfident? Are we placing too much weight on the success of the vaccine? You know, if you look at infection rates in the UK just now, they're, they're obviously spiking up very quickly. And you know, we're now seeing some European countries react. But yeah, it is crystal ball gazing, isn't it? And I think the one thing is that with hindsight, you know, we'll probably get it right. You know, but with foresight, it's coin-in-the-air type stuff, so let's watch your space. Yeah, and certainly we're seeing a spike at the moment. Uh, I'm actually self-isolating as we as we speak with my son having been to a certain football match when Scotland were still in the Euros, so there is a spike, but if you look at the charts, we've very much broken the 
the correlation between number of cases and hospitalizations. That looks like it's broken. It looks like we've cracked that. So hopefully that gives us every chance. But yeah, we're going to have to live with this as we go forward. But um, I am positive that by next year we'll, we'll be through this and getting back to where we were in. I like the idea of the black swan becoming perhaps more of a grey swan at the moment. So, Ian, I mean, I think you mentioned the levels of government support in particular that we've seen to date. And perhaps we could just explore that a little bit more as to whether you think that when that financial support is withdrawn, which undoubtedly it will have to come to an end, given the the extraordinary levels of debt that the various governments have now taken on, what will the future look like for us? Yeah, the, the the government, in fact, all governments uh, uh, globally, you know, not just the UK and, and certainly not just across Europe, you know, have responded very quickly and uh, almost universally uh, in in concert you, to try and address the problems of the pandemic and the one in three hundred year global recession that I talked about earlier. Or certainly, in the case of UK, one in three hundred years. The the support that governments put forward, and you know, if we look closer to home here in the UK, you know, that it has been both financial and non financial. But if we focus on the financial, that it's manifested itself in the furlough scheme, which I was with somebody the other day, and they said they didn't even know what furlough meant or how to spell furlough until. We, we came into the, the current pandemic. So I, I think it's probably one of those words that uh, I, I haven't seen for 2020. What Oxford Dictionary announced was the most used word in 2020, but that might be right up there. But we've also had other things like business rates relief. But one other important area is the government coming out very quickly and supporting businesses uh, at a time of need through guaranteeing business loans. And they, they can be anything. There's been lots of acronyms, uh, you know, C bills, BBLs, you know, and all these various different things. But at the heart of them is the government uh, supporting the banking, the financial sector to uh, provide finance at a very important time so that businesses can survive, have the runway to come through and hopefully prosper out the other side of the pandemic. In terms of the numbers, we're looking at in the UK uh, over 1.6 million of business-related loans that have been provided. And uh, importantly, the total amount is roughly to the order of about 75 billion sterling. But multiply that across you know, the EU27, across the other you know, the, uh, G7, G20 countries, and you can see that the amounts of money that governments have had to fund and support has been fairly significant. People have asked, uh, in, in fact, I, I was on uh, a panel recently where you know, somebody was saying, will this be a new problem asset class? Will this be a new type of loan that will, uh, that will get traded, you know, i.e. loans that have been uh, guaranteed by government? Again, I don't know. That's crystal ball gazing. And intuitively, you would think that the quality of these loans and the time at which they were provided will be lower than, than perhaps uh, others. But Currently, given where we're at and the positivity that we're seeing in the economy right now that we touched on a couple of minutes ago, we're certainly not seeing today a spike in default rates on those loans. Uh, And I think it's probably going to be Q4 this year and maybe even into 2022, quarter one, before we get any sort of meaningful insight into what the world is going to look like when this type of financial support is withdrawn. Did you want to add anything to that, James? Yeah, just a little, uh, Julia. Um, 
I mean, as Ian has said, the UK government, along with many governments throughout the world, have gone to extraordinary lengths to support businesses. And NatWest and the Royal Bank of Scotland, clearly we've got large exposure to business and therefore we've been at the forefront in delivering. I was going to ask Ian if he knew what all the acronyms stood for, but maybe we'll stay away from that. But we've had the CL bills, the C bills, the B DB bills, and now we're into the pay-as-you-grow and recovery loan scheme. And as a bank, we've been very much at the forefront and, and been keen to support our customers by using those tools. Could it create a problem? Yeah, potentially it could, uh, Julia. There's no doubt about that. Anyone taking on more debt, then if you've got higher gearing, then you've got to work at that. But I think customers will have a good run at it. I mean, the repayment profile is quite uh, is extended, uh, so they've got a prolonged period to pay it back. And interest rates are at historical lows, so I'm hoping that as the positivity comes into the economy, I'm hoping that most customers can work their way through. However, it is it is early days. We're not really into the repayment of these loans as yet. And as Ian says, you know, Q4 next year, thereafter, only then we'll begin to see how the full picture begins to emerge. So taking what you guys have just said, According to the European Central Bank, levels of non-performing loans could potentially exceed the global financial crisis. So what measures are the banks taking to tackle this potential tsunami? James, perhaps you'd like to uh, comment from your position first, on, particularly in the UK. First and foremost, as a bank, Julia, we're in a, a very different place than where we were at the global financial crisis. If you go back to that period, we had global exposure to real estate, whereas now it's mostly a UK-based book. Furthermore, at the start of this crisis, compared to the start of the GSC, our loan-to-values are much lower. So we entered this crisis with our customers in a much better place. We had a larger buffer than where we were 10, 11 years ago. Furthermore, as a bank, we're in a different position. Uh, we've got an exceptionally strong position when it comes to capital. Our tier one ratio is around 18%. So we have plenty of capital as a bank to support our customers. I think last time from memory, it was all sectors of real estate that were impacted by the financial crisis. As we've mentioned earlier, though, this is a social crisis. So it's those elements of real estate where customers haven't been able to go and visit the bricks and mortar, that's where those sectors have been most hit. Whereas the flip side is the industrial and last mile delivery, that's actually received a big boost from the pandemic. So it's a mixed picture, whereas global financial crisis, as the name suggests, it was right across the economy and indeed it was deep into the funders as well. Mentioned earlier, interest rates are historical lows, so that makes it easier for customers to service. With regards to how we're dealing with it at NatWest, we have a restructuring team, which I'm part of. We've, we've added to that team. It's a very experienced team and we've added to it. So we are well placed, we believe, to deal if there is an upturn in cases. Furthermore, our colleagues in Frontline have been providing forbearance measures to customers to help those impacted by COVID. So that includes capital repayment holidays to those landlord customers 
who were performing pre-COVID and who they and we fully expect to be performing post-COVID. You won't be surprised to hear that our issues relate to the retail and leisure sectors. That's the sectors that have been hardest hit. But we're working with customers to try and support them through what has been an extraordinary period, providing them with tools and advice. And hopefully we will never have to use that experience again in this way, because hopefully this is a black swan event and we don't see another crisis like this again. So that's probably where we are, Julia, with regards to how Matt West is, is dealing with this. Thank you. So, Ian, I just wondered whether you had any thoughts about perhaps more sort of European banks and their approach to this across Europe? Yeah, uh, I think firstly, uh, just uh, something that James said uh, resonated, and that, that was you know, working in banking through the global financial crisis. I remember us all saying that you know, this is a one in a hundred year event in the UK and you know, that we'll never have the misfortune or the bad luck to experience that ever again. Here we are today. Sounds like flooding. <laughs> it sounds like it does, flooding. <laughs> it does. Here we are today, yeah. So I genuinely hope that between us, we never have the misfortune to go through a crisis like this again, particularly, you know, that even more so one which involves a global pandemic and, you know, that the, the horrendous fatalities that, that's that been experienced, you know, that, uh, across the world. But, but looking specifically at the question, you know, that uh, you pose, Julia, that the European banking sector, uh, like NatWest, like the UK banking sector, you know, has entered into the pandemic in robust financial health. There's been lots of lessons learned, not only at an organisational level, but also, you know, there are a regulator, a central bank and at a government level. And, and some of those uh, experiences have come through and, and have manifested themselves in things like stronger balance sheets, you know, that higher capital ratios, as, as James touched on. In fact, I think James NatWest, last time I looked, going into this crisis compared to GFC, had something like nearly five times more capital it just shows the, the you know the huge strength and uh, and positive action that the leadership team has taken, but that that applies across most financial organisations. You know that uh, improved asset quality, counter cyclical capital buffers. You know that the, the, the list goes on, and and I think when when you look at the strength of the financial sector combined with some of the measures that we talked about earlier that government and regulators have brought to bear very 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 quickly both fiscal and monetary, that the risks associated with a one in 300 uh, year event you know, that has, has been managed very, very effectively and a lot better than any of us might have ever expected if we were ever in our wildest dreams to have foreseen uh, such events. I think though, notwithstanding that, post-pandemic, we, we do expect pressures to rise on the banking sector and, and we do expect that to result in an increase in, in MPLs. And there, there are several reasons for that. One is that the recovery will be uneven, i.e. not all sectors, not all businesses, not all countries will recover at the same level. Some will have other factors that will come to bear that will have an impact. Uh, I think, secondly, that we'll see, in fact, businesses, non-financial businesses that have, as a consequence of the pandemic, in many cases, had to take on a lot more debt that debt will have to be serviced and then repaid. And these are liabilities that organisations uh, prior to the pandemic will not have foreseen. And they will have sacrificed capital, working capital and liquidity over that period. I think also some asset classes, uh, the values of those have declined. 
We've seen sheds and beds, you know, the values uh, have increased significantly. But on the other side, you know, we've seen issues around retail, particularly non-grocery retail. And I think also bank forbearance will unwind. You know, the, the, the forbearance that banks have shown their customers and through, through the crisis, I, I think, can't continue indefinitely. Uh, and therefore, you know, that, that forbearance will unwind uh, and clients, borrowers of banks will have to step forward and come up with not just a sticky plaster, but we'll have to come up with a medium, longer term solution that addresses some of the underlying issues and problems. So I understand then, to picking up on that point, Ian, that NatWest has a loan portfolio out in the market currently, which is secured mainly by regional UK shopping centres, and that Lloyd's are planning on a disposal of performing residential loan book. Is this just the start? Is that what we're saying? I'd almost be tempted to pass this over to James, but I won't do that. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll answer the question uh, that, that you pose, uh, Julia. Again, it's like what we said earlier. This is you know, the, one of those uh, crystal ball gazing questions. And with hindsight, uh, uh, the answer will look fairly simple and straightforward, but we don't have that benefit right now. I, I think there will be more processes. Uh, there will be more loan sales, but Importantly, loan sales is just one of a number of strategies available to a bank, to uh, lenders in terms of managing their, their risk, their, their capital, their exposure. I think we are seeing a lot more portfolio activity in southern Europe. So in markets such as Greece, Italy, Cyprus, and also to a lesser extent, Spain. But most of those markets come into the crisis in a much you know, that was placed on Northern European, Western European uh, lenders, including uh, NatWest. So it was only natural that when the MPL loan sale activity uh, stopped as a consequence of the pandemic, that some of that would restart when capital markets, when investment markets allowed. And I think some of that is what we're now seeing. But undoubtedly, the ECB has indicated that MPL levels could, uh, and I, I use the word could, uh, exceed those that we saw post-global uh, financial crisis. If that is the case, or even if it gets anywhere close to it, we will definitely see more loan sale activity. But as I said earlier, it's just one of a number of strategies available to lenders. And James, your thought? Yeah, just to come in on that, Julia, I mean, I'm not going to comment it wouldn't be fair of me to comment at this stage in any current activity that NatWest is undertaking, but this is a route that NatWest has used in the past. It's a route that banks use, and clearly given press speculation, then it's what various UK banks, including NatWest, are currently considering. We'll always look at how we're going to manage our capital. As Ian said, there's many different uh, strategies you can use, but but loan sales is one of the things that we've done in the past. We're looking at this now, and I'm sure that we and other banks will continue to look at that as we go forward. It's all with a view to managing capital. I know we're running out of time, but very quickly, and a sort of bit of a one-word answer with your crystal balls on your desks, do you think there's a re- going to be a requirement for a bad bank, you know, akin to Nama in the next uh, coming short term? James? I'm happy to start with that. It might be just a little bit longer than one word, but... <laughs> Certainly what we are saying, Julia, at the moment, the problems that we're experiencing are nowhere near the levels of distress that we saw during the GFC. Now, I can only speak for what we see today, uh, but 
whilst that continues, I would be surprised if that was to be the answer, given how well capitalised the UK banks are. Our focus remains on working and supporting customers as we all begin to hopefully now move out of this pandemic. Clearly, if things were to go in a different direction, it would need to be considered. But from all I've seen and from the forecasts I've seen, then I don't see that coming back onto the agenda at this time. But Ian may have a different view. Yeah, I would never say never about anything like this. Uh, again, the, the last 18 months has taught us that, if nothing else, that anything is possible. So I, I would say, is there a, a, a chance it might happen? Yeah, I don't think it's likely. Uh, I think if you look at across, again, some of the uh, European uh, banking markets, Southern Europe in particular, there's other mechanisms that uh, uh, banks, the regulators, central banks, you know, governments have introduced in order to deal with what we might perceive to be some of the bad loan NPL type challenges. So I see probably more of that continuing. Right now, I think it's unlikely, but at 2022, we might have a different view. Thank you both. That's been a really useful insight into corporate banking and the period of change in the real estate world that we're currently in. And uh, let's keep our crystal balls in that positive, rosy glow at the moment. We've been learning a lot through this Investor Perspectives campaign, and it reminds us that smart investors will be using this time of transformation to reposition capital and produce strategies which prioritise those long-term consumer trends over short-term profit. Forward-thinking investors will, and indeed are, diversifying and deploying capital into new sectors and locations mitigating their risks and hopefully driving long-term growth. And equally as important, innovative investors are repurposing existing assets with technology, sustainability and social impact front of mind. So from Ian, James and me, thank you for listening.